Good morning, friends. It's always good to be here and worshiping with you. A few weeks ago, my good friend Colin sent me an email and he asked me of the different metaphors in the New Testament for the church, which one are you most drawn to? So I thought about it and innocently answered the body of Christ. And I naively offered some other comments around that. And Colin came back and he said, wow, that's great. I mean, your comments are so good. I'm really have to, I'll, I'm gonna have to work on those and think about those and I agree with them. That's great. And oh, by the way, the body of Christ is a topic for one of our sermons in this series. Would you be willing to preach on that topic? And it was at that moment I realized I had been nibbling on the cheese and the <laughs> trap snapped shut. And the only thing I couldn't figure out is why I was the rat in this scenario. Well, obviously, I said yes, and I started to give the metaphor of the body of Christ some thought. And I found myself drawn back to my anatomy and physiology class that I took in college 48 years ago. And I soon realized that I don't remember anything from that class. So I did what any college graduate would do. I started surfing YouTube. <laughs> so and I, as I looked at YouTube, and as I started to remember some of the things about the body, I started wondering, I wonder if the Apostle Paul were writing today, how he would uh, write and maybe use some of the information that I was getting on YouTube. So I thought it would be fun to update some of Paul's writings. Now, I'm going to be talking in generalizations and not going into great detail about the human body because we don't have enough time and it would be a journey of the ignorant. So I apologize if this is a bit basic, just kind of really basic information for a number of you, <coughs> Matt Berg. And it turns out that Aaron Sullivan, uh, you know, who's recently started to attend here, also the professor at Fox, in biology. So, but don't worry, I'm not intimidated. You know, I mean, what, is, what do those two have that YouTube doesn't have? Uh, now, I'm also not going to be sharing, I'm, also, I'm going to be sharing my paraphrases and not showing you actual translations. So if you want that, you're going to need to grab a pew Bible or, uh, you know, open up on your phone uh, a Bible app. Now, it turns out that there are 11 or 12 systems at work in the human body, depending on which YouTube video you look at. <laughs> and here they are. And I'm not going to talk in detail about them. Now, these systems all work together to make the body work. Now, Paul had to work with what he could see. So when talking about the body in his letter to the church of Corinth, he referred to eyes and ears and hands. The church in Corinth was the one where they were arguing about which spiritual gifts were the most important. So what if Paul had watched YouTube? Here's my rewrite. And I'm in, at this point, I'm in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, if the circulatory system should say, because I am not the skeletal system, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. 
And if the digestive system should say, because I'm not an immune system, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were a skeleton system, how would it survive without the air from the respiratory system? Or if the whole body were the digestive system, how would it relieve itself without the urinary system? But in fact, God has placed the systems in the body, every one of them, just as God wanted them to be. If, if they were all one system, where would the body be? Did I just, I hope I didn't just wipe out people that are on Zoom. Um, where am I? But in fact, God has placed the systems in the body, every one of them, just as God wanted them to be. If they were all one system, where would the body be? As it is, there are 11 or 12 systems, depending on which YouTube video you watch, but one body. The respiratory system can't say to the immune system, I don't need you. And the muscular system can't say to the reproductive system, I don't need you. On the contrary, those systems of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And there you go. What do you think? Paul updated now Paul is trying to get the point across that we are all in this together and that we all need each other and that each system needs to be okay with the role that they're playing. I think Paul would have really liked this idea of using these systems because, you know, when Paul talked about the body with eyes and ears and hands, if you would have cut off one of those members, the body still could have functioned. But if you take away one of these systems, you're basically dead on arrival. So, Paul goes on. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the systems that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its systems should have equal concern for each other. If one system suffers, every system suffers with it. If one system is honored, every system rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So Paul is saying all systems are important, and what happens to one system impacts the other systems. So they need to be working together and have equal concern for each other. And I really like that Paul said equal concern, because that raises the question, what's the concern of all these systems? Well, back to you two. Turns out that one of, the body, one of the main jobs of the body is to maintain something called homeostasis. That is, keeping the body in balance. When the body is in right balance, it's healthy and able to function properly. And that's a big concern. In almost all of his letters, Paul offers a list of do's and don'ts. And I think this addresses the issue of homeostasis. Here's an example from Colossians with my updating. And I skipped over the don'ts earlier in the chapter and just went to the do's. Therefore, as God's chosen body, holy and dearly loved, balance yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Maintain homeostasis by forgiving one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which brings life to all of the body. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to perfect homeostasis. So Paul wants the body to be in balance. And here he's giving some of the reasons, some of the thoughts of what we need to do to maintain balance and function in a healthy manner. But how does the body go about maintaining homeostasis? Well, it does it through what's called a negative feedback loop. Negative doesn't necessarily mean that something bad is happening. It just means that something is out of balance. So let's say the body is getting dehydrated. It doesn't have the right amount of water, that the mouth starts getting dry, the head experiences a headache, getting dizzy, and different systems start sending messages via the peripheral nervous system to the central nervous system. And the central nervous system sends messages back to the appropriate systems saying, hey, you're getting thirsty, you need water, and those appropriate systems get into action and they go get water. That's oversimplified, but you get the idea. And if you want more information, talk to Matt or Aaron. So let me offer an update of the, from the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, to which we might apply feedback loops. If you're going to do this loving body of Christ thing, thing make my joy complete by maintaining homeostasis with all of you solidly connected to the peripheral nervous system. So you'll all get the same messages from Christ, the central nervous system. Each system in sync with all the other systems. Don't be concerned only about the running of your own system, but be concerned about all the systems. And let Christ Jesus be your central nervous system, so as you move forward together, you'll see the world as Christ does. In Paul's version of this passage, four times he says something about having the same mind. Basically being on the same page with each other. And finally saying, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. It sounds like Christ is supposed to be our central nervous system, calling the shots. But what's interesting is Paul follows that up with what the mind of Christ is moved to do. He goes on, Who, Christ, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the, very, by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Christ didn't stay in a comfortable homeostasis place, but moved out into the experience of others, actually into the suffering of others. That's the mind of Christ. The human body has a negative feedback loop to keep the body in balance, but it also has a positive feedback loop that functions to move the body into action. It, fun it functions 
whenever the body needs to exert itself, or we might say, respond to a calling. This temporarily puts the body out of balance, but hopefully the body will return back to balance eventually. So there's some rewriting regarding the body of Christ for a pulse. But what does it have to do with us here at North Valley? Well, with Marion's recommendation, I listened to the book The Wisdom of the Body by Hilary McBride and came across several things that made some connections for me. Of course, she's talking about the physical body, but I think it also applies to us as a body. First, McBride talked about really being in and aware of your body and seeing your body as good. McBride suggests that people tend to look at and experience their bodies from the outside, from outside themselves, and through the eyes of other people or society, deciding if their bodies are good or not according to what they think other people think, and comparing their bodies to other bodies. This takes them out of their body. And it seems to me that we don't only do that with our physical bodies, but maybe we do that with our church body as well. At least, I know I'm guilty of that. And here's one way that I know I'm guilty of that. I know it's true when someone who is new to our community shares in worship how much they appreciate North Valley. And I catch myself thinking, oh, that is so good. We're acceptable to somebody who's on the outside and they come and they say, you're good. Instead of saying, I really appreciate that person sharing those thoughts and I'm glad that that's their experience, but I also know that they're naming something that I already know deep inside. It's easy to compare our bodies to other bodies. A few weeks back, Tim Turman and I visited another church, which has five services every weekend, thousands of people attending, a huge parking lot, and security staff. It's hard not to compare and find our church body either superior or inferior, rather than simply blessing that church and leaving them in God's hands and being at peace with who we are in the larger body of Christ. Confession, Tim did a much better job of doing that than I did when we made that visit. Friends, our body is good. We're not perfect or always in perfect equilibrium, but we're good. There's so much that is good about our body systems and feedback loops and our connections to the central nervous system. I love the way we care for and pray for each other. Our concern for those who are outside our community who are hurting and powerless. The way we value being, in, being still and silent in order to listen to the Spirit. And I'm sure that you can think of things that you appreciate about this body, and I hope that you'll name some of those things to yourself and hold them deep within yourself. The body of Christ at North Valley is good. Second, McBride talked about how the body 
experiences trauma. And as she described that, I started thinking about our body. We've experienced trauma. Now, for those of you who've just joined our community recently, allow me to share some history of our recent history. A few years ago, we left our denominational body over the LGBTQ plus issue, a body we shared with other Quaker churches in the Northwest since the beginning of 1972, since our beginning in 1972. And I think for many of us, it felt like we were amputated. Then a few years later, we experienced being physically separated from each other because of COVID, more trauma. Now these two traumas, one following the other, are very interesting. But Bryce suggests that there are three stair steps to responding to trauma. The first step is social connection. Our bodies naturally turning to other bodies for help and reassurance when experiencing trauma. It's like when a mother and daughter are watching a movie and something scary happens and the daughter immediately turns to the mother to make sure everything's okay. Second step is fight or flight. Depending on how our body has responded to similar traumas in the past, our body will decide in the moment to either fight or flight. And third, the third step is shutting down. Our body decides nothing else will help, there's no one to turn to, so we can't fight or flight, so we shut down. And that's our best action in the trauma. But it seems important, uh, excuse me, We all experience the yearly meeting split and COVID individually and in our own individual ways. Different ones going to different steps. But I find it interesting that as a body, we were suddenly amputated. Something we had never even imagined could happen. And we also decided not to join another yearly meeting so in some ways, we didn't have other bodies to turn to. We were on our own. And of course, as Quakers, we don't fight, most of the time. But we really couldn't take flight either, since we were in a small community where there are four other Quaker churches, three of which we're separated from. So it was easy to be triggered. So it makes me wonder if, in some sense, we shut down. Now, obviously, we're still here, functioning at some level. But another way that McBride talks about this is going into survival mode, simply surviving in the midst of trauma. And McBride says the thing about survival mode is the longer a body stays there, the harder it is to get out. Maybe as a body, in one way or another, at one time or another, we've been on all of these steps. McBride says these stair steps don't function in a natural progression, but a body can jump around to different steps at different times until it finds healing and rest. Wherever we are, I believe 
the visioning process we're entering into can be an opportunity for healing, to connect with each other, to remember, remember who we are and to what we're being called to as a body at this time in the life of North Valley. So I want to strongly encourage you all to join the visioning process. Remember, we need each other to be present and doing the work each of us has to offer as we heal and find new direction. And finally, it seems pretty clear that in one way or another, things are going to change in our body. And that's a good thing, even if it can be a bit stressful. It's time to prepare for change. The body of North Valley needs to lean into the change with curiosity and hope. And by the way, I struggle with change. But it seems important we move into that change or respond or respond to our positive feedback loop. Thinking as one body and not as a bunch of individual parts or systems. Can I think as a we rather than a me? Now please don't hear me saying we throw out our individuality altogether. But should it be my first go-to? Or to what I always give priority? Some cultures think communally more naturally than we do. In our culture, if someone is asked to describe themselves, they would tend to share personality traits and their own interests. I'm well-educated, creative, fun-loving, and enjoy music and good food. In cultures more community-minded, people tend to describe themselves in relation to each other. I'm a good parent, sibling, friend, and involved in a book club. How do I operate with a collective mentality? rather than an individualistic mentality? How do I move from thinking about only my needs and desires to thinking from the perspective of our needs and desires? Do I have a we perspective, or am I one of the seagulls in Finding Nemo, all with all the other seagulls, but saying, me, 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 me? Now, it occurred to me that I have a we way of thinking with Miriam, both when I'm with her and when I'm away from her. When I'm making decisions whether I'm with Miriam or not, I take her needs and desires into consideration most of the time. Oftentimes when I experience something, not only do I experience it from my perspective, but I imagine how Miriam would see and respond to the experience. And I think I imagine that fairly accurately. How did I get to that place? Well, that doesn't seem like rocket science. I spent time with Miriam. I listened to Miriam. I empathized with her. I experienced life with her. I love her and, was at, and came to be at a place of wanting only good things for her. So friends, we are the body of Christ. 
This body of ours is a good body, and with so many good parts and systems. We've experienced some hard times together in the past few years, but this is our time to heal, to turn to each other and let healing take place. And then we can move forward, living into our calling as the body, together with the mind of Christ. And the hopeful thing is that as we move out into the world, we'll find that as a body, we're also just one system in a greater body of Christ, alive in the world, in churches, in schools, on all, in all sorts of service organizations and workplaces. The body of Christ is everywhere we go. So as we move into open worship, I encourage us together to listen to the present Christ. And I offer a query. If it's helpful, fine. If not, fine. What's your experience of the body of Christ at North Valley? Are we good? Are we hurting? Do we together have the mind of Christ?